From Orange County, California, you are listening to Taking Flight with Captain Michael Rocket Blackstone. That almost sounds like a fake name. Maybe Marvel's next superhero? Might want to check into that. This is a different type of aviation podcast that is not hosted by a tech geek know-it-all or communist sympathizing wacko, no. Lucky for you, I am your host. With over 30 years and 30,000 hours of flying high-performance aircraft all over the world, 21 years at a major airline, and with over 25 years in the extremely challenging flying business, I hope to become your personal coach to get you started in your career in aviation as a pilot and to help you identify and survive this industry's many pitfalls and booby traps along the way. This podcast is my personal commitment to helping you succeed in making your dreams of flying for a living or as a hobby come true. We're trying to avoid that happening to your career because that's got to hurt. Well, welcome back. You are listening to Taking Flight with Michael Rocket Blackstone, episode 14. Today, we'll be talking with you today about a favorite turboprop aircraft that I have, and I've got some time in it, about 700 and almost 800 hours in the Saab 340A and B aircraft when I flew those aircraft for Business Express back in uh, the late 1998, uh, 1999 timeframe before I got hired at American. The actual checkout date was, looks like my logbook says uh, February 26th, 1998. I checked out as a co-pilot on the Saab 340. Had a lot of flight time at that time, uh, about 2,500 hours when I went to flight safety in New York's LaGuardia for the Saab 340 school. And at that time, what I uh, remember about that, that training was, what a challenging and complex aircraft the Saab 340 is. Uh, between its 26 different buses, its auto coarsening system, the propeller system, which is which is amazing and, and kind of complicated, the the GE uh, CT7-5A2 engines that make 1,735 horsepower. This was a huge step for me. Coming up from light twins, like all of us learned in the general aviation world, I had flown quite a few hours, 250 to 300 hours in Aztec aircraft uh, made by Piper, uh, PA-23, I believe they were. But uh, moving from light twins to the Saab 340 was a huge, huge jump. And uh, the way that they, the company was that I worked for, Business Express had it, is, is you had to pass the check ride before you were officially hired. So at 24 years old, 25 years old, I just uh, was about to turn 25 when I when I got onto that aircraft. 25 years old, that's a big jump and a lot of pressure. So I remember that school being long and hard and uh, we studied every day and t- 10, 12 hours a day with the other students to learn this, this uh, amazing aircraft. Its designation is an SF-34. You could find it on Wikipedia under Saab 340. And uh, I'll give you some of its specs. It's a 64-foot long fuselage. It's got 70-foot wingspan, uh, and it goes about 250 knots true. That's that's what it flight plans at. It'll go a little faster than that. It, its max speed is, to never exceed speed, is 282 knots. Um, 
and its range is in the 900 to 1,000 nautical mile range. The highest it'll go is, about, is flight level 250, 25,000 feet is its, its service ceiling, and its weight is uh, just about 18,000 pounds empty, and it grosses out at around 29,000 pounds for the for the uh, the B model. I flew A's and B's for BizX. It has actually the capability to carry, I believe it was ours was configured for 34 passengers. It says on Wikipedia it'll go all the way up to just about 36 or 30, maybe even 37 passengers with two pilots and a flight attendant on board. The cabin on this airplane is almost six feet tall. So I'm, I'm just about five, 10 and, you know, 10 to 10 and a half. It, your head will, will scrape on the top if you're six feet. So it's, it's a pretty big cabin for a turboprop and it's a, it's, it's pretty wide cabin. The, the cabin configuration we had was two on the right side and one on the left. And it, it had plenty of room. What I remember about it was when I, when I remember flying it and taxiing it, uh, was how it sounds. I think when you when you get on one of these things, if you haven't been on a turboprop in a really long time, and there's still a few operators flying them today, and it might even be making a comeback with with its range and fuel capability. With the you know the crisis in place now, you know people are more cost sensitive, and maybe they want to fly on a slightly smaller airplane with less people on board. I, I sense that maybe the Saab 340 is coming back uh, to some carriers and some routes because of how how efficient it is this thing burns about 100 about 150 gallons an hour so about a thousand pounds an hour um in the first hour and then it it simmers down up at altitude to around 900 pounds an hour maybe even sneak down into the 850 range as you as you burn off some fuel and get lighter and in the descent you'll burn a little get less gas as well so what I remember about it is the way it sounds when you taxi. And a lot of, a lot of folks were, were thinking that turboprops were going to go away. And I don't believe so. I, I think that the, the turboprop is such an efficient machine for certain missions. And I wouldn't say you should jump in a, in a Saab 340 and, and, and make, a, make a transcon out of it. But it's because it's not quite fast enough and the range isn't really there. And it would have to stop, you know, once, once or twice along the way, but in that, you know, 300 to a thousand mile range, this thing is really, really competitive and it, it doesn't have to pop up to flight level 250 every time either, which it, it doesn't really like to get up that high anyway. It's really, really happy in the mid to upper teens, you know, like 16, 18, 19,000 uh, or flight level 190. It's happy in that area. And what's cool about being a little bit lower is you might get more direct routing. You'll be able to be lower over um, some some beautiful terrain if you want to see stuff as you're flying. Uh, this airplane is actually, from a pilot's perspective and from passengers who want to look outside and see see where we're going and what we're doing, it's much more fun to be on a Saab 340, you know, at lower altitudes and and checking stuff out. And and you're not going much slower in those shorter distance ranges. So if you were going to go up to say San uh, Francisco or you know even Santa Barbara, short range from 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 LA area to Santa Barbara, you're only talking, you know, 30 minutes. So um or San Francisco is about, you know, a little over an hour versus the 45 minutes in a jet. So what's cool about it is is you can go direct, you can stay down lower and uh and and make up for some of those those differences in speed by 
better routing. So I, I really believe that this, the turbo props are coming back a little bit, uh, maybe in the near future. Um, the Saab 340 has such a distinctive sound. When you, when you hear it taxiing in and the propeller system, the, the Doty uh, four-bladed composite props, what I remember about starting the engine up and then and then running the propellers, if you're familiar with this, the turbo props, a lot of them kind of just taxi around with either the propeller in full feather, kind of making that that uh, that sh- that shuddering sound, you know, the you know the just that slapping sound is because the blades are 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 actually flat and they're in the feathered mode. But when you bring the condition levers on a Saab 340 out of the uh, the feathered position and then up into what they call the min-max range, that's when you'll hear the propeller RPMs come up and the blades come out of feather and then they, they stay in that low idle mode there and we put the condition levers all the way forward, but they're still running at relatively lower RPM. Then you use the the power levers to go to, to make thrust, and you'll hear the changing of the propeller blade angle as you do this. It's a really cool sound. So, um, so I think once you hear one coming, you'll be like, "Wow, that's that's interesting. What is that?" Because we're so used to hearing regional jets now. The sound of the of the the older uh, turboprops from the mid '80s uh, that these were made in. Uh, they came out in in like 1980. Uh, four, it looks like, and they stopped making them in 1998. So there's there's approximately 459 of these aircraft built by Saab, and uh, there's still quite a few of them still flying. They just don't make them anymore. So if you happen to see one or get a chance to fly on one, uh, you'll you'll get it. You get that that nostalgic uh, sound of that turboprop that that is kind of kind of been erased from the airline world uh, in the last you know decade or so for for trying to go t- towards more of a jet fleet but I'm not sure they actually improved uh improved the performance of the efficiency and the sound really is uh is unique and cool it's not that loud unless you're sitting right at the propeller or slightly flight forward of the propeller anything behind the propeller blades is significantly less noise so actually the the best seats in the house on a Saab 340 I remember when I was deadheading around on the aircraft I'd sit in the back row all the way in the back and uh it's much quieter there and as they pull the props back to about 1240 rpm as I remember uh at cruise the sound gets really really just 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 beautiful and the props sync up beautifully it has a nice prop sync on it and it's boogieing along at you know 250 knots uh easily over the ground and um enjoying a nice airplane so that is my experience with the Saab 340 get a if you get a chance go fly one and uh hopefully you'll you'll be as excited about the Saab um, when you get a chance to fly it. Now, if if you're a pilot and you in there, find a place who owns one of these things that's still flying them, there's a few commuters around um, that still operate it uh, as a cargo airplane. I'm not sure there's too many that are still operating it with passengers, but a lot of companies are still operating it as cargo. Uh, sign up for it. Go to Flight Safety or, or their, their approved type rating company study hard because it's kind of a complicated, tough school um, and uh, get ready for learning about its little intricacies. It's got a CTOT, which is its uh, 
the way you dial in the power, it's it's almost like an auto throttle sort of for for the aircraft, which allows the the captain who always pushes the power up on takeoff to approximately 80 80 percent uh, uh, torque, and then you flip these two switches on the CTOC control panel, and it brings the, the the power up to its dialed in torque values. So a lot of times it'd be in the low 90s, like 92, 94%, and it would push the throttles up uh, electron uh, fuel flow-wise so that they, the power actually boosts, even though the throttles didn't move anymore. And that's one of its little intricacies. And then uh, when they're ready to turn that off at, at, a, at a climb point somewhere in the in the in the first segment climb it, it get above a thousand feet or so you they un they roll off the torque and of course that drops the the power back to where the the captain left it somewhere in the 80 85 percent range and uh then turns that unit off so so that's how they they set the power for takeoff like in the 7.3 it's a little different you know they just click the the takeoff button and the throttles actually advance and they go to the target and one in the Saab it has a, a slightly different setup called CTOT, and it does not have auto throttles. So you have to do the unthinkable when you fly the Saab. You actually have to fly it and move the throttles yourself. The airplane has a limit on its on its ITTs, the, the temperature of the engines. I believe at altitude, it's about 830 degrees centigrade um, above 16,000. I think it goes a little higher, like to 840 or 850, if I remember correctly. So the 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 plane becomes limited by temperature in the engine, and uh, you'll either reach the max torque from the tables, or you'll each, you'll reach the max temperature from the uh, ITTs and the temperature, the internal uh, in, uh, inlet turbine temperature. You'll get that limit before you check the chart, make sure you're in the proper range, either torque or temperature limited, and uh, and you'll you'll be in the money on that. For takeoffs and landings, the power is ridiculous. It has, uh, like I said, 1,750 shaft horsepower, and that is on the B model. The A's are like 1,735, I believe. Slightly different engine, just a little more more boost for the uh, for the B model, which is nice to have. Uh, but this thing has lots of power, and what's awesome about turboprops, if you haven't flown one before, is that instantaneous power response to the th- to the movement of the throttles. When you push the power up on this thing, we're talking about like ridiculous uh, torque. You know, I kind of think of it more like the Tesla. It really kind of it surges and and it really pulls you. So um, so you don't have to wait for the, the spool up time like you get in a in a jet. You get instantaneous spool up, which is awesome. But you can't just take the throttles and slam them all the way to the firewall, or you could you could over torque the motors and over temp them. So you got to be smooth with it, and you got to know where roughly you know how far you can move the lever because it doesn't have any protections for temperature or over torquing. So you could hurt the motors by moving the throttles too far forward. And the other little little. Uh, nuance with it that I recalled uh, flying the airplane out of Boston. And I'd lived in Maine at the time. So we'd fly it up uh, from Boston to uh, some pretty snowy places in the wintertime uh, up to Portland, Maine. We also went to Bangor and, and you know Buffalo and Rochester and all these snowy places is when you bring the, thro- the, the power levers back into idle as you, as you get ready to land this thing, you're, you're landing and rolling the throttles off. It, it really makes a lot of drag. So you'll, you'll land with just a slight amount of power on to keep, keep it making some thrust. Cause if you close the, the throttles essentially to the soft, soft, uh, soft 
detent, the plane will make a lot of drag there. And it's almost like landing with the speed brakes out. It just kind of drops onto the runway. So you'll, you'll flare and round out around 10 feet, holding it off and, and reducing the power a little bit more and trying to time the touchdown so that the throttles are just slightly ahead of idle as you touch down. And the ref speed, I remember being somewhere in the 125 range. Um, so, you know, 125, 130 knots over the fence would be normal. And then it stalls at like 90. So, um, so you don't want to be anywhere near the stall when you touch down. So carry a little power. Don't let it get slow. Land relatively flat. And once you get the wheels to touch, then you can close the throttles and pull the triggers underneath the throttle and drive this thing into reverse. Now, the word of caution on the reverse is on these type of planes is you could you could inadvertently or sometimes get one to spool up faster than the other, and you'll find this thing getting differential reverse. That's hairy. Don't let that happen. So, so as you as you land and roll the throttles back, weight on wheels, it allows you to pull the triggers underneath the the main throttle levers and squeeze and bring this thing back into what we call beta, where the blade angle actually changes and it goes to a negative or beta. Uh, 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 angle on the propeller blade itself and you'll get this thing to make reverse thrust on a snow covered runway you could actually reverse thrust a bunch of snow or or, or, or ice de- debris forward and, and you could white out you know the visibility looking forward so so you got to be careful with reverse thrust on these you can really make a lot of thrust in reverse it's great for possibly slippery runways because you don't have to worry about the brakes skidding but you have the the alternative downside, which is you may get a differential reverse on occasion, and that could cause a, a directional control issue. So be careful on that. I had that happen to me once in Boston. Got my attention. And uh, another interesting note on the airplane is the tiller. Um, how we steer the nose wheel on this thing is tiller only. And um, what's interesting is, is, is you cannot steer the aircraft with the rudder pedals at all on the ground. So, um, until you get to, to, to over 60 knots. So what you'll find is, uh, that they, the guys that fly it tend to keep the, the gust lock engaged till they're approaching number one, uh, for takeoff or, or really you know, close to departure. And the co-pilot will, will lower the handle as the captain releases the little, uh, uh, gust lock button with his right thumb, release that he'll lower the, the co-pilot will lower the handle and then do the control check as they're approaching the runway um, to make sure the controls are free. Well, if the, let's say the, uh, the captain's going to, or the, the co- let's say the co-pilot's going to do the, the takeoff. The captain will get the airplane out on the runway with the tiller. He'll push the power up. He'll set the thrust at 80, 85%. The co-pilot will hit the seat tot. The plane will begin accelerating quite rapidly anyway. At 60 knots, if it's the co-pilot's leg, the, co- the co-pilot will come on with the, the flight controls in the in position into the direction of the wind with the ailerons, and he'll say, my tops. And then uh, at 80, he'll say, my bottom, so that the, the captain will come off the tiller. And there's a transfer of control there, which is kind of interesting. And it's due to the fact that the rudder pedals don't steer the nose wheel at low speed at all. So unless you use differential braking, which you're certainly not going to use on, on this aircraft during a takeoff roll. So the captain steers, feet are at the bottom of the pedals, and there's a transfer of ailerons first at 80. Uh, there will be a trans, uh, transfer of, of rudder pedals next, 
And now the co-pilot has the airplane, the captain has the throttles, and it uh, V1, hands are off the throttles completely, and they rotate. This airplane has an auto corson, which is a an auto feathering type system uh, that I recall to be engaged um, before before every takeoff and before every approach and disabled after uh, after you know safe altitudes reached and uh, and disabled after landing so so we use this auto corson to protect us from if an engine were to fail on takeoff, you know, at V1 or above, or as you're breaking ground and you lose an engine, let's say, um, the the engine, the failed engine will detect a a, a decrease in torque and a, and, and a split between the propeller speed, what it's being commanded for and what it's, and what it's actually getting. And it goes, oh, I think I've actually got a failed engine and it will confirm it and it will feather that engine auto course and meaning it'll take it out of the high drag high power mode to a medium range if i recall correctly uh blade angle so that it's making minimal drag well if it's still going to make some thrust it can make some but what we don't want in these type of aircraft or any turboprop for that matter is that engine windmilling out there with a flat pitch blade, which is, if I remember correctly, the propeller is going to be generating up to five to seven thousand pounds of drag on the on the, the now dead side. So, so what that can do to an airplane that's near twenty nine thousand pounds is is give it the effect of a seven thousand pound uh, penalty uh, of drag. So. So like it would feel it feel as if the plane just picked up 7000 pounds. So suddenly it's it's not able to meet its climb gradients and things aren't looking so good at that point. So we need to uh identify uh by pulling that engine say the right one failed so we'd identify with the right power level, bring it back if nothing happens, verify, then you then you can grab the right condition lever, pull it back and shut down the right motor. And, and, and get that thing to go into beta and into feather and, and secure it and shut it down. So that's kind of the SOB 340 in a nutshell. I hope you've enjoyed uh, listening about it. It, re- it makes me smile to think about the airplane, how much fun it was to fly the, 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 the SOB as a co-pilot for, for uh, about a year. I got a chance to fly that thing. Loved every minute of it. The challenge of flying it was was uh, incredible. It uh, it had kind of old school avionics, but um, it was adequate. You know, in our planes, it, it had just a VOR, so we'd go VOR to VOR in the Northeast, which was fine. You know, you take off out of Boston and go pick up a a, a radial and a DME off of the Boston VOR and go out to a certain point, and then dial in another VOR and diagonal out and fly fly another radial DME. So it made you a really proficient pilot in not so uh, favorable conditions, really busy airspace with really crappy weather a lot of times in the Northeast Corridor. So I thought that was a really great place to 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 cut your teeth into the airline business um, and flying something complicated, something fast, something not very um, high tech in its, in its avionics package, which made you have to do what you should be knowing, how, learning how to do in all of your your light GA aircraft. This airplane is actually uh, was at the time it was not very uh, avionics heavy. 
because you couldn't really go direct and GPS approaches and all of that anyway. So it was a 200 and a half approach. In other words, it can go down to 200 feet. And once you spot the the approach lights, you're good to down, down, down to 100 feet and uh, a half mile visibility. That's its limits. So having some really fancy avionics package didn't make a lot of sense for BizX, um, but it worked out perfectly for what we were using it for. And uh, it was it was a really, really fun and exciting airplane to fly. So you have uh, been listening to Taking Flight with Michael Rocket Blackstone. Feel free to email, email me if I've got any numbers wrong or somebody wants to add something or have additional questions regarding the Saab 340 or any other aircraft we've talked about on this podcast. Uh, let me know, takingflightwithrocket at gmail.com. And uh, like I always say, keep on flying. We'll see you next time.